Well, hello. Welcome to part one of our brand new series, The Parables of Jesus, stories that stir the soul. Glad to be doing something new, something fresh. I always love whenever I'm uh, thinking and researching about something that I'm not familiar with. So you would think, okay, you've been a pastor for a while. You have been to college, haven't you, to study these types of things? I have. However, I've never really gone deep into the parables. And what I'm finding is these are really really cool stories that are meant to shake us. They're meant to compel us. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, I wanna invite those of you who are watching uh, online, leave a comment, go ahead and hit the share button uh, with your friends. And for those listening on podcast, is always welcome. And so these air live on Wednesday nights at 6.30. And uh, I think that we're going to cover a little bit of groundwork today. So we're not actually going to cover a parable in particular, although I am gonna tell you a parable you've never heard before, most likely. Maybe you've heard it, maybe, but you might not have paid attention to it as a parable. But next week, we're gonna jump right into that first parable. So we're gonna lay a little bit of groundwork today. It might take us a little bit longer, but I think that this is important. So for the sake of time, and because I wanna honor your attention span for sure, because if you're like me, you're like, man, I'm gonna give you a few minutes. If there's anything being said, I'm moving on. Well, I think that it's gonna be worth hanging around for this one right here. So let's talk about uh, an introduction to parables. So Jesus's parables are among some of the best known uh, sayings in, in history, in the modern world. So even if people are not familiar with the parable in particular, they are gonna be familiar with a saying like good Samaritan, or maybe the word prodigal, which pops up in the story of, as it's often called, the parable of the prodigal son. The parables actually make up about one third, right around 35% of all of the recorded teachings and sayings of Jesus. So if you think about that, one third of everything that was ever recorded that came out of his mouth was actually spoken in parable form. That's probably not all that he said, but it's all that was recorded of what he said. So if we're going to understand Jesus, we need to understand parables. So before I get too far into this, rather than me stopping every 20, 30 seconds and citing my sources, I wanna go ahead and give you my sources in advance. Some of you might wanna pick some of these up. Most of them are kind of dense, and I'm, I'm gonna try and just give you the best of the information so that you don't have to go look for it yourself. But for those of you that wanna know where I'm drawing on some of these things. Uh, Thomas Keating, Meditations on the Parables of Jesus. Short Stories by uh, Amy Jill Levine. We have Michelle Lee Barnwell, uh, Surprised by the Parables. And then kind of the granddaddy of them all here, uh, Klein R. Snodgrass, Stories with Intent, a Comprehensive Guide to the Parables of Jesus. And then my personal favorite out of all of them is The Parables, Jewish Tradition and Christian Interpretation by Brad H. Young. They're all so good. Amy Jo Levine's book is good. Thomas Keating, always insightful, contemplative, going to give some insights. But go ahead and put that out there for you. So what is a parable? The Greek word parabole uh, refers to something that is cast alongside. So we might think about it as a fictitious story. So Jesus was making stuff up. I love that. So Jesus is making up stories, or perhaps he's passing down stories he's heard, or he's altering some stories that he's heard uh, in different forms. But he's probably making up these stories, and he's casting them alongside everyday life. So these are not stories that are necessarily about heaven. These are stories that are about earth, about how to love God with your whole heart here and now. But we're going to talk about that again. I keep getting ahead of myself. We'll talk about that in a little bit. 
later. So these are fictitious stories cast alongside eternal truths about how life is to be lived here and now. So a parable is often defined as a story that's used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. And they're not just intended to teach the lesson, they're also intended to confront and to challenge the audience. So talking about the origin of parables. So this is coming from Amy Jill Levine. There I go citing a source already. But she uh, says the origins of this provocative genre appear in the Old Testament. Here's an example of an Old Testament parable. I've read through the Bible a handful of times, and this right here, I'll tell you, is the first time I've ever looked at this as a parable. I don't know why. It comes to us from the book of Judges, chapter 9, verse 8 through 15. And as I'm reading this, think about the fact that we're in an election year, because this is a political parable. And uh, if it were spoken today and given some different nuances, uh, it would probably go viral on the internet. So, The trees once went out to anoint a king over themselves. So they said to the olive tree, reign over us. The olive tree answered them, shall I stop producing my rich oil by which gods and mortals are honored and go to sway over the trees? Then the tree said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree answered them, shall I stop producing my sweetness and my delicious fruit and go sway over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I stop producing my wine that cheers gods and mortals and go sway over the trees? So all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. The bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. So in this parable, members of society with something of value to contribute neither seek nor want political office. I'm not saying that's always the case. I'm saying in this parable, those with something of value, those who actually could offer something, neither seek nor desire political office. Only the bramble, which has nothing to offer, accepts the job, and he does so with the threat that he will destroy those who oppose him. The point is hardly subtle. It's a challenge to any who might seek to rule and to any who are in positions of authority. Could you imagine if like on CNN, somebody's interviewing somebody during election season and they tell a story like this? People would lose their minds. And yet the scripture presents to us parables, which in this case is a commentary in some sense on political life. So it's a fictitious story that is cast alongside everyday life in order to get at eternal truths. So it's clear that Jesus didn't invent the literary genre, the communication tactic of parable. He didn't, it's in the Old Testament. Now, Jesus might have mastered it, might have been one of the reasons he was so popular as we'll see here in a few minutes, Uh, but he certainly didn't invent it. Parables were in the literary water of Jesus's day. They were popular communication devices. Uh, I want to tell you another, another parable here, and uh, I have to lay a little bit of background. I want to tell you that my speaking of Hebrew is even worse than my reading of Hebrew, and my reading of Hebrew is nothing compared to my reading of Greek, and my reading of Greek is about on a kindergarten level, even though I took two semesters of it in divinity school from one of the greatest teachers. The problem was the student. Uh, I did okay, but I'm, I'm no... Um, no language scholar here. So the the Torah teaches halakha. These are matters of law. And so everything that is not halakha is considered haggadah. And these are like sayings. So you have halakha, law, 
then you have the sayings, which is Haggadah. And Haggadah are sayings to illustrate God's will, stories, sayings, so on and so forth. So at times, Halakha and Haggadah compete with one another as different methods of interpreting Jewish faith and practice. Now listen, hold on, I'm going through the weeds to get somewhere here. Two rabbis are teaching in the same town. One teaches Haggadah and the other treats supposedly more serious issues relating only to Halakha being the law. So the people abandon the one who delves deeply into the details of legal matters in order to hear the words of Torah expounded in thought-provoking illustrations. Again, Haggadah. One rabbi does not believe that, the, that anything takes a second place to halakha and is offended by the popularity of this parable-telling uh, competitor of his. The halakhic mind clashes with the spirit of the Haggadah. And in an open conflict, the law attacks uh, the law rabbi, attacks the story rabbi, who makes his defense by telling a parable, which is hilarious to me. So I want to read this to you. Let me pull it out here. We're, we're looking from this book for a moment. And let me read to you this, uh, this parable that, so again, you have the, the rabbi who's always teaching these deep matters of the law, and then you have this storytelling rabbi who's coming along, uh, you know, giving these stories with intent, as it were. And so whenever the storytelling rabbi is challenged by the rabbi who's losing followers because he's going to follow the guy who's telling all the stories, what does the guy who tells all the parables do? Respond to the rabbi in what way? How does he do it? He responds to that rabbi who's challenging him by telling him a parable, which is hilarious to me. He's a little bit of salt in the wound. So uh, here we go. Uh, and again, the names, okay? So Rabbi Abahu answered him. Uh, and this is the, the parable telling guy. I'll tell you a parable. To what may the matter be compared? It may be compared to two men. One of them was selling precious stones and the other various kinds of small wear. To whom do the people rush? Is it not to the seller of various kinds of small wear? Kind of the pots and pans of life. You know, two people come into a place and one is selling all these precious stones. People might look at it. Most can't afford it. But the other person comes in and is selling, you know, Tupperware or whatever the stuff was that they used to sell back in the day. And uh, so the, the people are, of course, going over to the common everyday things that they can put to use right away. But he's, he's saying the things that you're telling, these precious stones uh, are actually the law. I'm not putting the law down. What I'm telling you is I'm meeting the people where they are with these stories. As I was thinking about that statistic that one-third of everything that Jesus taught, which was recorded, was in parable form. Could one of the reasons be that Jesus was so popular and that it ticked off the other religious teachers of his time who were focused on teaching the law? Again, not a bad thing. The details, going into the, as it were, how do we say it again? The halakha, going into the finer points. Could it be one of the reasons Jesus was so popular and the people got so ticked off is because they were leaving their, them themselves to go and flock to Jesus, this parable storytelling rabbi. The Bible can come across as so, so arcane. It can come across as so higher than our own intellect and minds and everything. And Jesus goes around telling stories that those with ears to hear could pick up on. And we're going to talk about that a little bit as well. But I think it's one of the reasons that people flock to him. I mean, certainly the miracles, certainly the ability to turn, you know, multiply loaves and fish. But also, the fact that Jesus was just a really good storyteller. Aren't your favorite preachers good storytellers? 
Don't you love whenever you go to family reunions and your grandpa starts telling stories? Or your, your crazy uncle Rick, who's, you know, a couple screws, you know, short, he, he starts telling stories and sometimes they're just hilarious. Our minds love stories. And Jesus is like, God, God in the flesh knows that our minds love stories. And so he tells stories. All right, I'm gonna go to page number two. And we're gonna move along here. But I took some notes here because I wanted to make sure that we laid some proper, some proper groundwork here. Talking about uh, discovering the meanings of parables. So is there like a singular meaning of a parable? So the parable of things that are lost, lost coins, lost sheep, lost sons, lost whatever. Or parables of good Samaritans. As is, like, is there a single meaning to a parable? And the answer to that question, I think, is no. Parables, some only a sentence or two long, are seen as the hallmark of Jesus' teaching. And as Mark 4, 33-34 puts it, many such parables he spoke to them, spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He didn't speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. Now, few of those explanations are passed along to us. So if us understanding the exact meaning and point of all the parables was most important, don't you think that they would have been passed along? But what if Jesus wanted people to grapple with the parables? And even when he does explain parables to his disciples, they still have to figure out what it means for them. Each reader will hear a distinct message and may find that the same parable leaves multiple impressions over time. The crowds had to find their own meaning. Even the disciples, the more they thought about it, I bet that they found their own meaning. Because the parables meet you at a particular point in your life. A parable you hear or read as a child is going to meet you differently than it does as a young adult. Perhaps as a parent. Perhaps as a person around middle age. Perhaps as a person in the twilight years of life. The parables start to mean different things because they're still working on you. And that's the beauty and the power of parables. So reducing parables to a single meaning destroy, destroys their aesthetic as well as their ethic, ethical potential. It destroys the beauty of them and their power to make an impact. When we seek universal morals from a genre that's designed to come surprise, challenge, shake up, or indict, and look for a single meaning in a form that is open to multiple interpretations, we are necessarily limiting the parables and so ourselves. Again, Amy Jill Levine said that. I thought it was a great line and I want to share it with you. In many ways, uh, Michelle Lee Barnwell talks about this. In many ways, the parables uh, are like inside jokes. They're not so much meant to be interpreted as they are to be experienced. Like if I have to explain a joke to you, either I'm not a good storyteller or you're just not in on the joke. And maybe you'll get it one day. Sometimes while I'm driving to church, you know, I'll, I'll carpool with my friends Christy and Jody and me and Sari will go in and Liz and Seth will come later. But Jody has the most heinous dad jokes ever. They're just horrible. They're not bad, like in an off-color sense. They're just horrible. I could tell you one right now, but it wouldn't be worth the time. They're so absurd. And I tell the same kind of dad jokes. And sometimes my kids will look at me and they're like, what? Like, you'll get it when you're 30, right? I think that Jesus' parables are kind of like that. That they're kind of like, Jokes are kind of like inside jokes. Like he's in on the joke. He's in, why does he have so much joy? Because he's light, he's free. He's in on the joke. He understands that the kingdom of God is a giant party and everybody's invited. You see, Jesus was the type of person who would tell the best stories and change water to wine. No wonder people liked him. 
I think it's really cool to compare the parables to jokes, not because they're not quote unquote serious, but because they're these powerful things that catch us off guard. And jokes often have some pretty distinct truths in them as well. Somebody said that they're like miniature plays that Jesus uses to communicate his message. Another person, parables are a fictitious saying, picturing truth. Another, parables portray divine nature in the theater of life. Another, parables are works of art in the discipline of communication. Stories create words, worlds, and stories, parables are stories. Stories create worlds. And by reading the story, at least temporarily, we inhabit the world. And while we're invited to bring ourselves into the picture, if we try and force our own meanings onto the parables without letting them speak to us, or we think that we know what they mean because we've been taught a certain thing, we're not letting the story do its work. The reality of God is revealed by the power of parables. So talking about the purpose of parables, and then we're gonna wrap up here in just a second. Why did Jesus teach in parables? Well, we can find the answer here in Matthew's gospel, where the disciples directly asked Jesus why he spoke in parables. They said, why do you speak in parables to the people? And he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever doesn't have, even what they have will be taken away from them. This is why I speak in parables. Though seeing, they don't see. Though hearing, they don't hear or understand. They're not in on the joke. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Those who were open to hear could hear. But often the people who knew it all couldn't hear, and it just ticked them off. One, because they were losing followers. And two, because Jesus wasn't going around just trying to convince everybody of truth. Just believe, believe, believe these things. No, Jesus is telling stories and hearts that are open, ears that are open, eyes that can see will be expanded and dilated and they will be wowed by the beauty of the kingdom of God. So Jesus isn't going around giving statistics about the size of heaven. Jesus is going around telling inside jokes about the kingdom of God that people who are awake could hear and grab onto. In this way, the parables reveal to us a balance between dependence on God's divine revelation and human effort. We have to seek to understand. We have to pray, God, open our heart. But we also have to know that it's God who opens our heart. We must ultimately rely on God to reveal his truth to us. But it's our responsibility to cultivate the type of heart where even when the things that we hear are painful, they're received because we're open. The parables, uh, in the story parables, we see Jesus' teaching causes people to come to the point to where they have to make a decision. And this is why I call this series Stories That Stir the Soul. Because they're meant to not just pique your curiosity or tickle your imagination, give you something to think about. They're calling you to make a decision. Are you going to be like this person in the story? Or are you going to be like that person in the story? So Jesus' intention is not just to inform. His intention is to inspire people to repent to have a change of heart and mind, and to start walking the way of God. Soren Kierkegaard talks about how the parables kind of come in the side door, and I love this. I love this because um, 
My favorite preachers are the ones who aren't obvious. They're not obvious. Good storytellers are not obvious. They don't, you don't see where they're going. They're not coming just like straight at you, just full on. They're telling stories and they come in the side door. And so Soren Kierkegaard uh, tells these stories that, uh, somebody's trying to come in here. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard, here's what he said. Somebody's trying to come in. I'm like, no, you can't come in here, dude. Um, listen to this. Um, where are we? Here we go. People set their defenses against direct communication and learn to conform its message to the channels of their understanding of reality. And direct communication finds a way in the back window and confronts what one thinks is reality. Parables are indirect communication. So parables teach more by intuition than by prescription. The message is caught rather than just simply taught. Jewish folklore and earlier rabbinic parables awaken inner spirituality of the listener rather than challenging the intellect in purely cognitive ways. So to land the plane here, interpreting parables. Hardly anything that can be said about one parable can be said about all the other parables. So each parable has to be approached on its own. They use rich imaginary, rich imagery in language to catch the listener unaware. At first, everything seems familiar, and then there's a sudden shift at the end. The person who might appear to be the villain is actually the hero of the story. In parables, we're looking to identify points of reference. We look for areas that people would immediately identify with what they heard. We don't, in other words, just know that there were two people that passed the man who was attacked by robbers. We know that it's a priest and it's a Levite and that the person who stopped to help was a Samaritan. So we're gonna go deep into the context of the parables, into the world of the original hearers, and see why Jesus picked this particular person. So before we go, here are a few key thoughts. Number one, parables are meant to stir your soul. Let your imagination run wild. Pray for an open heart. Number two, don't be too quick to judge any of the characters. Number three, let the parable call you to action rather than just give you something to think about. Number four, be wary, hesitant. Don't rush to position yourself as the good guy, the good woman in the story. Allow the story to do its work on you and see yourself from diverse frames of reference. And then number five, if you aren't challenged by the parable, it just means you haven't sat with it long enough. If something doesn't confront you, it means you haven't really caught the joke. So each week we're going to unpack one parable. And uh, so next week we're going to dive in to the first one. Laying some groundwork this week. I hope this helps you. I know it's not always exciting to lay this type of groundwork, but I think it's important. So we're going to jump into the first one this coming week. All right, it's been good. We'll see you soon.